You know, in the pro-life fight, very often the hardest cases are trotted out. Just watch right now while we're going through the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, what are we hearing about? We're hearing about children conceived in rape and incest and how horrible that is and you're going to force people into a pregnancy under those circumstances. Horrible, horrible. Believe it or not, on the other side of life, on the fight for life against euthanasia, assisted suicide, it's the same tactic. The hard cases are trotted out and oh my gosh, look at this, they're going to suffer and so much and you're denying this person the possibility of dying in peace, etc, etc. Well, the great heroes in the pro-life movement fighting against abortion are often those mums themselves who have experienced rape and incest and have had their child and it's been healing for them. The testimonies of children conceived in rape, like Rebecca Kiesling. On that other end, on the euthanasia battle, We've got someone with us today who has suffered greatly and yet is one of the great campaigners against euthanasia and assisted suicide. Stay tuned to the John Henry Weston Show to talk with Jennifer Bowen. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Jennifer, uh, it's great you've, you've spoken out uh, to defend life, uh, to stand against legislation uh, on euthanasia-assisted suicide. Why don't you tell us, first of all, what you were doing? Well, uh, for about 16 years, I worked with uh, an, an organization called Iowa Right to Life. And I went from being a volunteer until I got to the point of being their CEO. So I kind of ran the gamut with what I did there. And what I was most involved with at the end was advocacy across the state, as well as um, working up at the legislature fighting fighting the battle for pro-life legislation. And it's hard to believe it, but at the time I was doing it, Iowa had at one point 29 Planned Parenthoods and most of them were doing abortions. And through pro-life advocacy, through legislation, we are now down to nine Planned Parenthoods in the state, Amazing. which is still a tremendous number. Um, but we were able to see many, many clothes and so many lives saved. Beautiful. And it's funny because you, as an activist fighting on the front lines for life, have sort of been put back into the battle. I, I'd say put back in by our Lord in an interesting way as a powerful witness of your own still fighting for life, but in a totally new way. Yes, it was a totally new and unexpected way. I never expected for my life to turn upside down the way that it has. Mm -hmm. So tell us, what, what happened? Well, what happened was I um, went to the doctor in March of 2019 and for a, a swollen arm. And what came out of that was the next couple of weeks, a lot of testing and biopsies and all sorts of things. And at the end of the day, what they came determined um, was I was 
stage four metastatic breast cancer. And <laughs> it had already permeated throughout my body. And I have to read it because I often forget where it is. Um, by the time they found it, it was in my brain, my neck, my throat, my spine, both humerus bones, both femurs, my pelvic region, and most recently a lung. So by the time they found the cancer, we were in pretty dire straits um, when I met with the oncologist and the radiologist the, at the beginning. What, um, you know, what was your progress then? How did you uh, deal with that? How did you fight it? What ended up happening was we immediately went to battle against cancer. I trusted God to find the right doctors for me. I didn't know one from another. He led me to the right ones at the Catholic Hospital here in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, they just began an aggressive battle, both with chemotherapy and radiation at the same time. Um, I was hospitalized for about a month, that first couple of months. Um, it was really a severe battle that we were in. And I was blessed to have a radiologist and an oncologist. And the oncologist, I know for sure, now is a believer. And he, uh, they just battled for my life. And they never gave me a sense of this is dire. I mean, they gave, I guess they gave me that sense. But they never gave me the sense that I was terminal. They were optimistic that they were going to battle this cancer and we wouldn't necessarily see it go away. Unfortunately, by the time it's stage four, typically you see um, treatable, uh, manageable symptoms, but never um, the release of cancer, um, short of a, of a miracle, which I still believe could happen. Uh, uh, and so they just aggressively began to put me through all sorts of things. And my body responded um, for the most part well to it. And um, we've been doing that for over three years now. And um, now I'm on a chemotherapy at home. So I don't need to go in and do traditional chemotherapy. And uh, radiation is complete at this point. Um, and so right now, every time I've gone in for scans in the last year or so, um, I've been considered stable, which is the best scenario um, that I have in front of me. Okay. So your case is severe, and you made this very powerful presentation. Uh, where was the presentation? What laws exactly were you confronting? There was... Um, some laws that were coming forward in the state of Minnesota, um, where I submitted my testimony um, to a couple of laws related to assisted suicide. Um, I know that Minnesota is one state where the testimony has gone forward. I'm not sure other states yet. Um, the organization I'm working with is open to using it beyond Minnesota, and I'm open to that as well. What were the arguments that you used? Uh, in terms of telling them why this pro-euthanasia or assisted suicide legislation is harmful? For me, it boiled down to three. The first was, you know, at any point in my journey, um, I was literally six months from being considered terminal at any point in this battle. And to be in a battle where sometimes depression does come into play, um, I think that's probably just a natural part of being human, um, you know, thinking about things that you might lose, that sort of thing. 
Um, but at any point, if assisted suicide is legal, I could ask for drugs to end my life. And that would be supported. I wouldn't have the support of we're going to fight for your life. I would have the support of certainly here's your medication. So that was one of my arguments. Another was that you're stripping tools away from the doctors. When you say assisted suicide is an option, you kind of handcuff the um, physicians to doing their life-saving treatment. And then the third was comes down to monetary monetary reasons, which is if insurance companies know that assisted suicide is legal, and we've seen this at least in Oregon, um, if it's legal, it's easier for the insurance company to say, you know, here are your medications to end your life. It's we're not going to cover um, your care, but we will cover your end of life, your hospice, and all of that. We will cover that. And if we allow insurance companies to be making those decisions, I don't stand a chance in that world because I'm a very costly um, consumer. I had great insurance the first two years and was very blessed that way. Um, but if they had an opportunity to to end my life in that way, I would I would hate for them to be the ones to make that decision. And those were the three arguments um, that I uh, used. So one of the things that we rarely hear about um, is another aspect of this whole battle, and it involves a Christian concept of suffering. In the scriptures, we hear a lot about embracing your suffering for Christ or with Christ or offering it in union with Christ. The uh, scriptures describe St. Paul uh, with, with others having suffered at the hands of the Jews after they go to them and are judged. They're told, actually, they, they won't kill them. They just tell them, you shouldn't do that anymore, and they scourge them, which is a horrible suffering. But nonetheless, as they leave, they're rejoicing, say the scriptures, for having been worthy to suffer for the name. Uh, in the scriptures, we also read that Jesus was perfected in suffering. He tells us, embrace your cross or take up your cross and follow me. The way of the cross, the way of suffering is an ordinary part of our lives. But the people who are called to suffer in a particular way are in a particular way more closely united to the sufferings of Christ because the sufferings of Christ were so extreme. I would love to hear your take on, on that. I think that it's been very eye-opening for me in this journey because I never really had thought about that a whole lot. I, my life was lived out in complete pro-life advocacy. I knew I was serving the Lord. I knew that um, I was doing my best to honor him with my actions. And, and it was easy for me to understand that God would bless that because I was being obedient. This journey has been harder. I immediately had to stop working and was considered disabled immediately. Um, and that to somebody who's worked all of their life was a very hard thing to adjust to. It still is very difficult. Um, but I didn't understand that my life would be consumed by this cancer. And in the beginning, the first couple of years, it was medical appointments many times a week, 
um, my whole life became devoted to fighting cancer and fighting to stay alive. And I didn't, I had a hard time understanding in in the beginning, especially that my vocation had just changed. He was calling me to something different. I would still be serving him. I would still be um, looking to bless him every way I could, but it was going to look different and it was going to be more painful than anything um, that I'd ever experienced. I mean, bone cancer is no joke. Um, And so it would be something beyond what I ever would have considered um, my journey. and, And so I've never really known any moments of, and I praise God for this, I've never really known any moments of whiny, um, how could this happen? You know, I've been sad and I've been um, worried about the future, about if I'll see my nieces and nephews grow up, um, those sorts of things. But it's brought me closer to him because I've had only him, it's everything else has been stripped away. I have to rely on him as we all do, but I have to rely on him in new and unique ways for my life. Because without him, you know, I'm up against a, a battle of a, of a monster. And um, it's just brought me closer to him instead of further apart. And I'm so grateful that he has been ever present um, in the dark moments, in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, you know, the songs that you learned as a child, scripture verses that, that you learned as a child and as an adult, those come back to you as, as mercies. And without him, I don't, I don't know how you would go through stage four metastatic breast cancer without him. I just don't. And he's kept you a warrior in the pro-life fight, nonetheless. And and I guess many would say probably more powerful than you ever were before. That is something that I rejoice when I have opportunities. And even if it's just sharing something on social media, when I have the opportunities to, to do something like this, it just blesses me immensely because I feel like, yes, this is what I was created to do. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. Amen. Jennifer, thank you so much for your witness. Thank you. And may God bless you. God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. 